All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the High Stakes Diaries. We are joined right now by a man you guys are probably already familiar with. He is, of course, the inventor of the very controversial drafting strategy, Zero RB. He's a co-owner of Rotoviz, and he is a man who has no time for Twitter as he sifts through the rubble of late round running backs. It's Mr. Sean Siegel. Welcome to the show, Sean. Well, it's good to be here. I'm excited to to hear what direction you will be going with your team this year. I think this this is the year. Third time is the charm. Uh, I think you guys are going to follow in, in Monty Fon's footsteps and uh, you know have that that number one overall slot heading into the playoffs this year. Let's Ooh. hope, Sean. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. I mean, can you even just hear it in Pat's voice? There isn't. <laughs> it's not even just like optimism or hope. It's just like I feel like we need to save face at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it does seem a little resigned, especially yeah. when you have the number one pick. You, you can go any direction you want here. I know. we lit- And here's the thing, Sean. So, the, of course, the past two years in the main event, we've gone um, zero RB in the sense that we waited till, I believe, at least the fifth, uh, maybe sixth round to draft our running back. It, of course, failed miserably. This year, we have the 101, obviously some good running backs at the top. Did our draft slot save us from ourselves? With the 101, or would you say we need to go Antonio Brown? We need to go New Hopkins and stay true to our zero <laughs> RB roots. Well, I, I don't think you can ever be saved from from a zero running back. I, <laughs> I just I, I had the, the the good fortune and, and pleasure a couple hours ago of, of getting to participate in the Washington Post experts draft. And I had the fourth pick, and so that made it easy for me because then I could just go Antonio Brown. So there wasn't really any controversy there. Um, I, I do think this is an interesting choice because you know you've got the big three at running back, you've got Ezekiel Elliott, who some people like, and then you know you still have Antonio Brown, who I mean I don't know if there's a safer, higher scoring pick out there. I mean there are probably higher scoring picks, but Antonio Brown, I mean he's going to bring you 20 points a game the whole season. Would you go Gurley at number one? That's who we kind of were thinking last week. And then uh, I was uh, kind of entertaining the possibility of Le'Veon Bell, but given his the fact that he still hasn't reported and he's disputing reports about when he'll report, uh, I'm kind of more over to Gurley at this point. Who are you? Who would you probably take number one in this format? I would take Gurley number one. Uh, ben Gretsch and I had I got to do a, a going deep draft with Mike Clay and company the other day. And and we went David Johnson number one in that, even though um, I think there are more questions there. Uh, when I had the number three pick the other day, I picked David Johnson over Antonio Brown, uh, kind of going with the heart over the head. But I think that you know when you're looking at trying to uh, win the whole thing this year, I, I do think it comes down to Gurley or Brown for that number one pick, and and certainly Gurley has incredible upside. Yeah, and hang on, Sean, just because it seems like every time you talk, you just casually reference another league, why don't you tell us how many leagues you are in this year? That can include best ball, dynasty, mock drafts, industry drafts. I mean, it has to be ridiculous. Yeah, well, right now, it probably is still in uh, the very low double figure, so... That's, I mean, that's a, a pretty soft year, I would say. Five, six, seven years ago, I mean, I had some years where, you know, I, I would do 100. And that's just too many, that, that's too many waiver. Um, you were doing 100 managed leagues? Well, 
Yes and no. They, 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 yeah. So <laughs> you got to go in and do. <laughs> that was just like a- asking an alcoholic the last time yeah. they had their drink. Well, it was kind of a mixed drink. It was pretty watered down. <laughs> I'm drunk right now. Right. Well, yeah, so, I mean, it kind of depends on, I mean, a league where all you have to do is put in your waiver picks because it's waiver priority, I mean, that. I mean, that's almost not even fully managed. But when you have to put in your bids for all of the players and your conditional bids, you know, that, that starts to, to rack up the time there. Okay. Well, I just had, I just had to squeeze that in. But why don't we? I kind of like this. Why don't we just kind of keep moving along? Last week we did um, kind of running through kind of our picks one through five, but it's still fun to to hear your thoughts on it. Let's let's now talk about the two three turn. I feel like Pat and I have been looking at this pretty closely, especially with ADP. We were actually just talking today about the chance of some rogue players getting pushed up in the second round based on how the FFPC live drafts take place after the Thursday night game. So we were discussing, you know, a Zach Ertz or a Jay Ajayi having monster games, pushing them up in the format. If you guys aren't familiar, you can draft a player that played on Thursday and get their points locked in their starting lineup. So last year, Kareem Hunt on the Thursday night game going off, rocketed him into the top three pretty much across the board. And a lot of people were taking him number one overall. So yeah, we're hoping for that. But I would say guys were targeting... Um, we'd love if Kelsey fell. That seems a little optimistic. AJ Green seems like he could fall. And then, yeah, we've been talking about taking the two best receivers there. If Kelsey doesn't fall, what would you be looking to do at that 2-3 turn, Sean? Well, with the tight end premium, definitely Ertz would start to to come into play a little bit because you're going to see those tight ends elevated uh, throughout the draft, which not only means that it has more value to you there, but we'll push down some other players later. So you get some, you know, slightly better values at running back and wide receiver, which, which wide receivers are you guys looking at at the two, three turn? Well, green could fall down. He's going a, a couple spots ahead of that. He's at 22. Um, we talked about Thielen and Diggs. Um, Devonte Adams is going right there. So I think there's, we kind of feel like there's probably going to be good options for us no matter what. Yeah, I think my dream pairing there would be A.J. Green and Diggs. I think, uh, Pat, you're a little less on Diggs than me, right? I'm a little less on Diggs. Um, like, for example, if Adams were to be there, I'd definitely rather have him than Diggs. But uh, I would be happy with Diggs there. I don't really feel that strongly, actually, about 2-3, just because there's sort of a glut of very solid wide receivers. Uh, I wouldn't want Tyreek Hill, who's going at 26. But other than that, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I think our worst-case scenario there, and I say worst-case still really liking the players, would be like T.Y. Hilton and Diggs. Right. Yeah, I'm seeing Devontae Adams go as early as the fifth wide receiver, which in a lot of ways I think makes sense because when you look at what he did last year uh, in that very difficult situation, you look at that kind of being a secondary breakout, even though the numbers were kind of the same, but the quarterbacks were so different. When he's got Aaron Rodgers, and now it it certainly sounds like Randall Cobb is not going to factor that heavily into what they do. I mean, you could be looking at one of the biggest years we've really ever seen from an Aaron Rodgers receiver. Yeah. And and he's not going that far ahead. So if he were to slip just a few spots down, I mean, I'm just looking at the uh, on Fantasy Mojo. They have the FFPC ADP, and 
the latest Adams was taken in like 32 drafts of the last three days was 24th, so the 212. So, um, and his his average spot, I guess, is around 20th. So he probably will be drafted ahead of us, but that would be uh, another one of those guys. It'd be kind of a dream uh, guy to slip, you know, again, if like an Ajayi has a huge game or Ertz scores a touchdown or two uh, and goes in the second round. Well, let me ask you about uh, a sort of a big name who I'm seeing slip, um, Mike Evans. I mentioned today when I was looking at uh, Dave Cabin's uh, Rotoviz Ultimate Rankings that he has the wide receiver ADP of number nine, but we have him outside the top 15 in several of our uh, sort of scoring formats or projection formats. Uh, if you have, say, Evans, Diggs, and uh, Hilton in that range or Thielen in that range, uh, would you feel comfortable passing on Evans? I would rather have Evans than Hilton personally. Um, it might just be a bias. I, I just feel like he is so talented and I know that, you know, he's dealing with a suspended Winston and then Winston. So it's not great, but, um, he has produced in the past, uh, with that same, you know, with Winston. So, uh, and I don't think, we wouldn't want to take Diggs and Thielen. I, I certainly wouldn't really be that interested in that. So I guess in that scenario, personally, I would want to go with Evans and then one of Thielen and Diggs. And Shauna, am I right to assume that you are Diggs over Thielen? I'm kind of, I actually feel like this year I'm slightly leaning towards Thielen, but I think Pete feels more strongly uh, towards Diggs. So I would be fine going with Diggs too. But are you. Uh, Sean, more of a of a Diggs drafter than a Thielen drafter this year? I am, uh, in, in part because I think the players who have the early production that he has had uh, tend to have so much long-term upside, whereas the people who break out later and have the kinds of seasons that Thielen has had, you have a little bit more risk of being able to sustain it there. Uh, Diggs looks like he's right on the verge of having an Antonio Brown type of season. Maybe not quite to that level, but certainly, you know, you have the new quarterback. There are some reasons to believe the quarterback situation there is going to really favor Diggs. At the same time, I would say that our projections actually favor Thielen, and he's got a very strong profile in that range. So I prefer him over Hilton. I prefer him over Evans. I prefer him over Doug Baldwin. Uh, So, I, I mean, I'm very high on him as well. What are your thoughts on taking both? I mean, I guess we could take both and then try to get um, Cousins later. <laughs> You've got kind of a, a high upside stack uh, that actually wouldn't be the worst way to structure your team in terms of the playoff uh, format that we have later. You know, if we do actually make it to the uh, league playoffs, um, uh, the tournament playoffs, I guess, where all of the league winners uh, and some additional qualifiers all play for the grand prize. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I was going to say. That if you, if you went that route, I would stack him in with cousins and then you have, you have some big time upside and, and cousins, you know, seeing in most leagues is going uh, fairly late at quarterback or certainly in that range where he could fall and end up being a, a pretty good, you know, value quarterback for you as well. Sean, I kind of want to pull back uh, a second. Obviously, it looks like we're going to be taking a running back first overall. But, you know, one of the things that I think has made zero RB or at least our execution of it a little difficult in this league is just with the way the, the regular season is only 
11 weeks in this format and so much as zero RB is letting the chaos and the fragility of the position kind of take hold over the course of the season and so in a way you have less weeks for that to you know come to fruition what are your thoughts uh, about just maybe how zero RB can work specifically in the FFPC format and maybe some adjustments you need to make to maybe you aren't building a team that has the massive upside to win the 250,000, but building a team that can make the playoffs in your individual league. Yeah, I think those are good points. And I think that uh, what I think about it, there are sort of two separate issues that kind of point in opposite directions. So then you got to sort of peel that apart and, and see what you really want to do. Uh, you, know, you mentioned that it's 11 weeks long. Certainly in my background in the NFFC, some of the biggest weeks that I've had are in weeks 12 and 13. And so, you know, you lose that in the slightly shorter format and you do have to take that into consideration. Um, this season, the other thing structurally too with the FFPC is that with the double flex um, and the two start wide receiver, you don't necessarily have to start the third wide receiver. So that makes a difference there. Plus you can start up to four running backs. So if you end up with a roster where you hit on multiple, uh, you know, middle or late running backs, you can play them all. And so you can create that huge upside through the running back position. And so in this format, there's a little bit more of that uh, pull to, you know, maybe use a little bit of an early running back and then also, uh, again, use some of the tactics from zero running back in terms of landing those late running backs. Because if you ended up with four guys in the top, you know, 10 to 15 running backs, then you've got a pretty amazing team. I mean, that, that's kind of the whole idea there is that, you know, if you take late running backs with zero RB, you should be taking the guys who really do have a very legitimate shot to be top, you know, top 15 guys. And we've done that over and over and showed how to do it. Well, if you do that kind of thing in the FFPC and you have those two guys plus your two early guys, and then, you know, you have four running back one guys on your roster and then mixing them in with some of those good wide receivers, you know, that's the kind of team where you could win the whole thing. Uh, the, the flip side of that, I was going to say, is that there are some excellent, excellent running back options in the middle rounds this year, I think better than ever before. But that, again, kind of fills in with that idea of, well, you know, let's draft four running back ones as opposed to looking at it from a different perspective. Well, yeah, let's use that to segue then to the middle rounds and look at our 4-5 turn. I think initially when Pat and I were talking about it yesterday, we were both in agreement that we wanted to go um, pass catchers there. Pat had floated the idea of Ingram, which I really wanted to shoot down, uh, mainly just on principle of us kind of getting burned with the mid-tight ends the past two years. Uh, but who would be those you mentioned specifically attractive uh, middle round running backs? And would you be looking to take those over, say, um, the guys we're looking at in this range, which I think realistically is the Brandon Cooks, Golden Tate, Demarius Thomas, Allen Robinson, Chris Hogan, Marvin Jones area? Right. And those receivers you mentioned, those fellows are not my favorites, which doesn't mean that they couldn't have, you know, very good seasons. But I think the target situation with those players is maybe not as strong as their ADPs would suggest. Whereas when you're looking maybe a little bit later than those guys, you have some very appealing wide receivers again, once you get into the Sammy Watkins, uh, Will Fuller, Robbie Anderson, Marquise Goodwin, uh, Robert Woods, 
kind of range. And then a little bit deeper, maybe you have Funchess and Aguilar, and then you start to come in with the sleepers of people like Galladay and Godwin, uh, those types of players. A little bit before that, you have that group of running backs that that we've been writing about of, you know, Carrion Johnson, Tevin Coleman, uh, Jamal Williams. And so, you know, those players maybe are not going to start in week one and put up huge numbers. Obviously, if you draft Williams, you, you know, you're hoping for that that big first couple of weeks. But which guys are are you looking at in terms of the middle running backs? And, and are there some sort of later wide receivers you all are targeting? Yeah, so there's... Um, if we move down a couple rounds, so we're now we're talking about the 612-701 pick that we have. We're actually sitting on a glut of, uh, you know, running backs. So I sort of am looking at it as like Sean Siegel running backs. Uh, Chris Thompson's going 72. Tevin Coleman, Kerryon Johnson, um, Marlon Mack is going at 78. So that just, it strikes me that we could double up on those types of running backs right there because there's as of now it's it's not um we'd have to reach i guess for the according to the current adp to take someone like a watkins um who's going at 88 uh fuller's going at 96 and so you start to think that maybe we'd actually like a fuller might be available to us potentially at the end of the eighth and the beginning of the ninth round uh uh, Robbie Anderson is going at 89, so kind of in the middle of that range. So I've actually been wondering, Sean, what would you what you would think about a strategy or like a, a structural um, strategy of obviously running back at 101, Gurley, and then wide receiver four in the second and third, third and fourth, or fourth and fifth, and then looking at the sixth and seventh, potentially going running back, running back again with like a Tevin Coleman, Kerryon Johnson pair up there. I like that, especially in this format. And I think when you're looking at those round three through round six picks, uh, how you play that depends a little bit on uh, what Pete was talking about with, you know, where are you going to slot in your tight end, especially in this format? Um, Pete, it sounded like maybe you were saying that you wanted to punt tight end a little bit, even in this, which you can gain an advantage from that, certainly, because the tight ends get get elevated so much. In terms of Ingram, Burton, Delaney, Walker, do you guys have a preference in that range, and, and how would that uh, force the rest of your guys up or down a little bit? Yeah, I like Ingram, uh, but we'd have to take him probably at 501. And we have been... Both Pete and I feel burned about taking tight ends like that early. Last year we took Reed, I think maybe in the fourth. We took Delaney Walker the year before that, I think in the fifth. Uh, we've also taken tight ends in like the ninth or tenth round. So we took Eric Ebron two years ago in like the ninth round, which obviously burned us. Um, I think we may have done something similar last year. So we've actually kind of hit tight end hard the last couple of years. Uh with premium picks and it's not been effective. And we've also then, because our tight end picks were so bad, uh, although Delaney was fine the first year, but still we've, we've been able to find tight end production on the waiver wire more than we've expected as well. So we're both a little bit skittish about taking a tight end with a top five pick. Um, Angram does intrigue me, but uh, I think it's just the overall strategy. We feel like it's probably better to wait and maybe target a tight end really 
kind of later on, like probably our first tight end would be maybe in the in like the ninth round if someone drops like the eight twelve nine oh one pick if someone slips who who currently isn't going there now. Um like let's say a Jack Doyle or a, a David Njoku slips a little bit, uh we could snap them up and then if not we'll have like a backup plan for the next couple rounds or, or even even three or four rounds later. So we're kind of doing like a a a punt with uh, with the ability to take someone who slips along the way is our current thinking. Pete, you said you were off of Ingram. Yeah, I'm just, I'm especially at that price. Um, I, I am just really concerned that about a lot of his production uh, taking place last year when they were really uh, depleted without Odell. And, and now you add Barkley in the mix, a healthy Odell. It, it just seems like something's going to have to give there short of Eli just having a, a crazy year. And I just, I, I'm, I love him as a player and as a prospect. I think he's going to have a great career. I just don't know if he's going to be able to pay off um, the early fifth round ADP in a way like, you know, Chris Hogan could, or in a way, you know, grabbing a guy like even Marquise Goodwin. Or um, I actually go to use this as a chance before we blow by uh, the four or five turn because I, I brought this up with Pat last week, and I know you've been aggressively targeting Jarvis Landry. It looks like he's going on average at 4-9, so a small chance he would slip to us at 5-1. Sean, I need you to tell Pat why we would be insane not to rush to the podium with Jarvis Landry's name on it at 5-1. Well, I've picked Landry as early as the 303. So, I mean... At the end of the round four, you're you're sitting on so much banked value there. Landry comes in, you know, tied for fourth in our uh, sim score projections, which you know that that's putting them right there with the superstars. You know, he he's going to lead the NFL in targets, right? I mean, Josh Gordon, you know, may barely play. They're going to trail. They're going to be dumping the ball to him constantly. What he's done with Miami, with the Dolphins. Uh, looks like more of a floor type of outcome. They're not, you know, floor, floor, absolute worst case scenario. But when you combine his volume with the very decent chance that he has an uptick in efficiency with these two guys who are, you know, somewhat intriguing in, in Taylor and, and Mayfield there, uh, you're looking at a, a potential Keenan Allen type at the end of the fourth round. Pat, what are, you, what are your concerns with Landry? My concerns are that he uh, has basically been kind of a target monster, the best of bad options on a, um, you know, not high volume passing offense, but not low volume. And he's moving to, I think, what could potentially be a pretty low volume passing attack with Tyrod Taylor at the helm or rookie quarterback. Uh, I know he's great in hard knocks, but my, my feeling on... <laughs> Uh, in Hard Knocks, is that that team looks like a disaster. I know I he's great understand. on Hard Knocks. Yeah, I know. I know that that's what's driving him at three hundred three for you, Sean. But uh, I like how well, you no, need I just, someone. If you need someone to come in and lay a vicious blindside block on someone yeah, to spring a different exactly. player and you know get ejected and have the play called back, he's obviously your guy for that too. Hey Pat, I just want to exactly. say that that kind of negative shade, that shit's contagious, <laughs> bruh. That shit's contagious, and we don't need that on our team right now, Pat. We need positive thinking. We need targets. That shit's contagious. Y'all little bitches. All right. So, all right, well, 
Go ahead, Pat. No, I just, I yeah, I just, I just am worried about um, not just the the high volume, low volume thing, but I think in particular, like Tyra Taylor, not meshing that well with like uh, a slot wide receiver, low A dot guy as well. Like even within the the fact that they might just have fewer passing attempts than Landry has typically seen. I also don't know like that that, that quarterback and wide receiver uh, are going to necessarily fit together that well. I don't really have the same concern, um, you know, if they bring in Mayfield, but uh, I, I don't know when that's going to be. And, and are you are we sure that Gordon doesn't play that much? I know he's got a hamstring now, and he didn't miss, he missed the preseason. But in, in the past, he's come out, you know, basically hasn't done anything with the team, jumped on the field, and gotten a ton of targets. So. I'm not really that sure that, that Gordon doesn't have a big impact and, and take away uh, targets from Landry. And I think Gordon's just seems like a much better fit with Tyrod Taylor as that kind of downfield guy. So uh, I don't know. I I just have a lot of – to me, he looks like he has a lot of red flags. But I, I, I could be missing something, I guess. Sean's just going to like step back and let you and me duke it out the rest of the episode about this, huh? It's it's a tricky area, I think, because, you know, one of the things about loading up on the wide receivers, people are constantly asking, well, is the top tier going to bounce back? And, you know, I think when you're looking at Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham, I don't think you have any concerns about how those guys are going to score. Now, you know, are, are they going to score 18 instead of 21? I mean, that's possible. But, but you're looking at a lot of points there. Once you start to get into that fourth round range and you're looking at people like Golden Tate and an injured Doug Baldwin, um, you know, Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas with the concerns there. People are drafting Corey Davis. They've got Chris Hogan. You've got Cooper Cup. Um, I, I think it's very legitimate to question whether those guys are going to score at the level where you want to add another receiver to your roster at that point. Well, yeah, Sean, that's actually, let's uh, talk about this because one thing you've said a lot uh, recently is there's kind of a, a trope going around there that, oh, wide receivers so deep this year. And I've heard you kind of push back against that notion as far as, you know, the players that actually can score at an elite level in your flex positions and, and that maybe not being the case. But then kind of when we were talking earlier, you were mentioning more tiered wide receiver targets through the late rounds with the Robbie Anderson, Will Fullers, then going down to the Funchesses and then later to your Godwins and, and Galladay's. So I, I know we're always playing the probabilities here, but where do you kind of stand on how deep wide receiver really is? So I think looking at some of the drafts that I've done, you've got some people like Juju Smith-Schuster uh, in there around 17. The high stakes players seem to like him a lot better than the experts, which I think is justified based on the models that that we have, have run and, and worked through. You've got Larry Fitzgerald in that range, um, very opposite end of the spectrum in terms of what his strengths and weaknesses are but again someone who's probably undervalued even when you consider the the red flags of age and and what they could end up having at the quarterback position but once you get right by that and you're looking at golden tate cooper cup Corey davis you know you've got goodwin who has risen from you know almost the double digit rounds up into you know i see him in the fourth round consistently uh there's not a lot of extra room to outperform at that range. You've got guys like Allen Robinson who are exciting, but 
complete unknown coming back from what he's coming back from. You know, you have these situations with the Detroit receivers where they're appealing, but if Galladay does what people are expecting, then, you know, you start to have to split the targets in an awful lot of different directions. And, you know, kind of like what Pat said with the Browns, you know, the Lions may not end up having to pass the ball all that much if their offense functions more effectively overall, if their defense functions a little bit better. So quickly you could get into a real target crunch there for guys who are really not that high a ceiling in the first place. And then, you know, now you start to talk about floors that are pretty low and yet they're, they're fourth round wide receivers. Same thing for the Broncos. I picked Demarius Thomas early the other day. I think that in some ways you're getting him at a discount to what his true value would be if they hadn't had just the series of quarterback apocalypse types of scenarios. But when you're looking at him, you're looking at Emmanuel Sanders, and then you look at number one, how good of a prospect Cortland Sutton is. And then number two, you know, how good he looked in their most recent preseason game and how, you know, that split the targets, you know, you are starting to look at another offense where the volume may simply not be there. So I like the guys in the first two rounds. I start to like the guys again, a lot in round seven through 11, 12. But if you start running back, running back and think that you're going to be able to pick receivers in the third, fourth, fifth round, and balance that out, I think that's where the real concern lies. Yeah, and I mean, that's such a good point because I feel like that's the kind of squeeze we're feeling right now when we look at this 4-5 turn. And I'm sitting there and I see, you know, Juju's, at least according to these most recent drafts, he's averaging um, a 4-6 average draft position. Landry's at 4-9. And obviously you run, you know, to the podium with one of those picks. But like you said, it gets pretty gross after that with the Cooks, Tate, Thomas, um, that tier. So it, you can definitely see why you maybe even just want to introduce into the back of your head, well, what does the roster look like if you go Antonio Brown at 101 and at least get three really good receivers? But it, I, I think I understand what you're saying there, and, and maybe we need to be, Pat, a little more open-minded too. Like, And again, I'm not going to completely throw out the tight end thing, but even like a, a mid-tier running back that we like there, if we feel like the the pocket of wide receiver value isn't really lining up with our slot. Yeah, but just looking at the current ADP, I actually don't like any of the running backs there. And and in fact, there aren't that many running backs who would even necessarily be available at the 412, 501. Because like the, the Royce Freeman, Lamar Miller, Derrick Henry, even Mark Ingram are all going ahead of that area. So we would need them, them to slip. Um, and then... Jay Ajayi is going there. I think he'll probably go somewhat later or like maybe even a round or two ahead of that, depending on what he does in that Thursday night game before we draft. Um, and then you got Carlos Hyde and Deion Lewis going at 55 and 56. Rex Burkhead is going at 60. So there's not really, uh, and that's it. That's all the running backs in that area. No one really stands out to me there as a prime target at 48. Um, I, I think if we don't, go with a wide receiver there maybe we should talk about evan ingram some more who's, who's at 51 john what are your thoughts on ingram here um pete and i are obviously kind of splitting on him right now i like him a lot he he does fit into that category with you know the lions guys the broncos guys um certainly the rams players where you're talking about a target split potentially between so many people which doesn't mean that the stars don't you know rise to the surface um ingram there a one-two punch with 
uh, Odell Beckham. And one of the problems is that all, all of our numbers suggest that Sterling Shepard is also undervalued, which would suggest that Eli Manning is going to have a good year, which that's where you get right back, you know, into that circular type of logic where you're thinking, I just don't see Eli Manning supporting these guys, especially when you can tell that they want to just hand the ball off to their new running back. Uh, so it's very tricky there, but if Ingram, uh, you know, if you're going to see a guy jump into that Jimmy Graham type of level where he has a period of time that he's scoring like maybe not an elite wide receiver, but close to that level, you know, this might be the year that Ingram does that. And I think everything you see on the field suggests that he has that potential. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with him as a player and, and prospect. Uh, one thing I want to talk about and just make, because I know it's easy for us to get caught up on the, uh, the early rounds, but another thing I've heard you talk about recently is building your draft backwards and i'm wondering if you could um, i think i kind of understand what you mean by that but if you could uh explain that for us and and maybe how we could apply that to uh to our main event draft right so when i'm thinking in terms of those seven eight nine ten eleven picks which are still pretty valuable picks i do want to have at least a little bit of a sense of where i'm going later and if i have any uh, very clear targets to where I know they're going to be on the team, and that's going to affect the positional distribution a little bit. Now, since you have waivers, you know, you're going to have most of your starters from that early round group. So, you know, you don't necessarily need to have your positions really that well balanced. As long as you have starters and you have good players, you can go into free agency then and balance back out after you see, you know, who those valuable late people are. But with the idea that we might have some late targets who really shift what we want to do. Otherwise, we want to know who some of those guys are. So for me, a person I always draft in round 20, uh, no one else seems to be interested at all, would be a Tyler Boyd. So then that maybe affects a little bit whether you want to take a John Ross. It might affect how you want to address your receiver position and, and how many you have. If you know that you want to get Chris Godwin, if you know that you want to maybe take a Mike Wallace with uh, the situation with Alshon Jeffrey, then that might encourage you to take a few more running backs in that middle round range. You know, again, with this idea that best case scenario, we really do want to hit on four top 15 running backs. So those are some of my targets. Who are you guys looking at in that round, say 14 to 20 area who might affect then what you do earlier? Pat, have we once talked about anything from rounds 14 on yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't. But Godwin definitely is, is one I agree with. Um, I would love to get him. And looks like he's going right now in the 13th. I would be happy to take him at, at 13-1 right now just to lock him up. Um, DJ Moore is another guy. He's going right now at 12-12. He's a guy I'd like to get there. I think that's good value too. And I could definitely see us going, um, grabbing a, a one, if not two tight ends, maybe in that range. Pat and I had talked about uh, Ricky Seals-Jones and Austin Safarian-Jenkins. I guess ASJ is going at more in the mid-12th, uh, whereas Ricky Seals-Jones is like uh, averaging a 15th. Um, so that, that would also be uh, in play for us. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a really good thought exercise because I think what you're kind of getting at is freeing yourself up, um, to always take, 
Well, I guess not necessarily, but it's like if you get towards the end of the draft and you're like, I took all these wide receivers, and yet the best values on the board are wide receivers, and you might find yourself taking a running back just for positional needs. And you're saying if you can really forecast that backwards, you can maybe avoid some of those situations. Yeah, certainly having uh, a sense of who you want to take there. So the number one, you don't waste any of the picks, but then also to balance some of those things out. So if you prefer to have, say, a Chris Ivory, uh, Jeremy Hill, a Chase Edmonds, then you might feel a little bit more freed up to take some of those wide receivers. If you do prefer the wide receivers, and this is a, a format where I do think some of the more exciting wide receivers will fall a little bit with it being a little bit more running back heavy and more tight end heavy, it'll push some of those guys down. So you know, if you can get a Christian Kirk a little bit later, Paul Richardson is a guy I see going very late, uh, certainly with a very wide range of where he goes, but but sometimes falls deep in the drafts and and gives you almost a free you know wide receiver three type of player you know in the late 60s or 70s in terms of wide receiver ranking, uh, knowing what some of those guys are and if you like them or don't like them and and how you would pick them will will certainly affect what you do earlier and, and that's the case as well for the tight ends. Um, you know, in this format, I, I do like to have some of those top guys, but you know, there are some people late, maybe a Jerry Cook, if that's how the Oakland offense ends up running. You know, we don't hear a ton about him, but certainly, um, if if Gruden can get that going, it would seem like he would need to be a guy who who comes into play a little bit. Um, probably you're off of Eric Ebron, but with how weak their receiving core is uh even if jack doyle is involved you know ebron could end up being really the sort of receiving tight end there and so if you want to take those guys then that frees you up to let some of the other tight end values pass a little bit earlier i want to uh jump on one thing you mentioned and i know you wrote an article about these kind of high value handcuffs that some might even have some standalone value uh and you mentioned chase edmonds what about as girly owners, would you be going out of your way, or not even going out of your way, but at even value taking John Kelly as a handcuff? It looks like we could get him in the 17th round right now. Or would you be taking, say, Ch- Chase Edmonds there and trying to get two for the price of one? I think I would lean toward the two for the price of one, especially because I think that Edmonds is actually going to have a little bit of standalone value and so might be someone who sticks on a roster whereas certainly if you if you draft Gurley with the top pick you know you you're so locked into the idea that he is going to stay healthy and that doesn't mean that he will but I think that if you pick Kelly you end up dropping him to pick up other players you need and then needing to re-add him at some point later in the season and so you know perhaps you save a little bit more of your bidding units for that but I guess even with him being this upside handcuff, um, you know, maybe pick someone who, who isn't going to be an automatic drop after week one. Yeah. And just to go back to, you know, talking about taking some of these wide receivers and tight ends in the later rounds. I like that uh, as the strategy because there are some running backs in kind of the early double digit rounds that I, I really like, and, and Sean, I know you're a fan of some of these guys too. Like uh, Nick Chubb is going, uh, he's going right now 134, so like t- the end of the 12th round. Um, uh, we got Ronald Jones going a little bit earlier at, at the end of the 10th round, although I kind of feel like he's one of these guys whose ADP could fall a bit. 
um, given how poor his preseason has been. Aaron Jones is going at 10-7. Giovanni Bernard at 10-03 right now. So there's some really interesting running backs as we move into the like 10th through 12th rounds. Um, Austin Eckler is going in the 13th. Matt Breda is going in the 13th. So, yeah, the 10th through you know 13th round, there's some interesting guys there. And I feel like that's what we found last year. We ended up getting Alvin Kamara. Uh, and somehow still missed the playoffs in like the twelfth round, <laughs> well, that, and Rex Burkhead as well, right in that range. So I, I kind of like going back to the well there. Yeah, and, and I was just backs. gonna. I want Sean to chime in, but I was gonna say like that range you just described was the exact range last year. I know we went we went ten, eleven, twelve. I believe was Procise, Burkhead, Kamara trying to take zero RB candidates with pass catching upside on good offenses and that returned pretty well and now you just described another bunch of guys that are kind of in that sweet spot what do you think sean yeah those those are the people i'm going after and i think that's your route to having sort of the four top 15 running backs uh perhaps overall certainly we had camara and and hunt who it was not still going in that range uh during the the main event drafts but you have these guys who elevate to you know even the top five but even if it's something like david johnson as a rookie um where his explosion really happened down the stretch and in the playoffs you know that's that's when it really counts and you know you guys are going to put together a team that is strong enough to to make the playoffs fairly convincingly i i i believe that wholeheartedly i'm not concerned about those two previous years when when you get to that playoff portion you know you want to have four stars Right. And I, you know, I, I don't really understand why Chubb is going quite that late. That seems like a massive overreaction to uh, Carlos Hyde running with the first team and, and making some wild plays in the preseason. I mean, we've seen Carlos Hyde for his whole career. He's fine. Right. I mean, he is a, a solid NFL running back. But, you know, Chubb's a guy who is going, you know, 103, 104, 105 in dynasty rookie drafts in these drafts that are supposedly loaded with all these stars, you know, going way ahead of someone like Royce Freeman, who's now, you know, up into the third or fourth round where, I mean, there's not a lot lot of excess value left there. But for Ronald Jones, Nick Chubb, you know, those guys, I, I think that what's in front of them on their depth charts is not nearly what the ADP suggests. Right. Jones has supposedly had this horrible preseason in, you know, in many ways he has. And one of the questions, you know, is can he get any of the receiving value? Well, you know, then you see him run this pattern 30 yards down the field, you know, beautiful wheel route, ball dropped right in there. He catches it like it's nothing, uh, you know, has the speed to go by defensive backs. Uh, that's not something they get from Peyton Barber. Right. So when you're looking in that range and you mentioned a Brita, you know, you've got an Eckler. I'm hoping that those starters don't get hurt. I love Jerry McKinnon. I love Melvin Gordon. Just really rooting for everyone to stay healthy. Um, But if if something were to happen, I mean, those guys have top 10 upside as well. Eckler is sort of an interesting guy because, you know, not drafted a little bit smaller, but not as small as people think. And, you know, again, he looked fantastic last year, looked fantastic in that preseason game. You know, when you load up on those guys, and there's a lot of built-in potential value there. I was just going to say, Sean, you don't have to worry about selling us on uh, Carlos Hyde. We took him in the fourth round of the FFPC last year. So, I mean, we're, we're fully on board with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, Chubb, this isn't like a stylistic comparison or a comparison of, of uh, 
what these guys are actually like as prospects. But Chubb kind of reminds me of Kamara last year, just given the situation. It just feels like, you know, it's going to take so much for him to ever see the field and, and make a difference. But, like, not that much needs to happen. And I think – and Chubb hasn't had, you know, a kind of disappointing preseason in the way that Jones has. Jones has maybe created a few more red flags for himself where Chubb is still, I feel like everyone sort of feels the same way about him as a prospect as they did back when he was drafted. It's just that the situation looks really bleak. And that's that's what kind of reminds me of Kamara. It was like no one really felt worse about Kamara the player after uh, the preseason last year, but it just looked like he was so buried. Um, but I don't know that really much much needs to happen with Chubb. So I, I would love to get him. Uh, and I feel like we could get him, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe the end of the 10th, early 11th is a <laughs> bit of a reach, but I wouldn't hate that. You know, we could maybe look to get like a Jones-Chubb uh, there at the end of the 10th, beginning of the 11th, double up. That'd be kind of nice. Yeah, I have I have Chubb on both of my main event teams that I've already drafted. And he wasn't even someone who was really on my list of, of players to pay attention to because, again, you mentioned that three-person committee. But I think your point is perfectly made where just like with Kamara last year, uh, not nearly as much has to happen. So if you believe in the talent, you know, you should go for that pick. The, the drafting style that prioritizes week one volume is a very sure way to lose at the running back position. That may be a lot stronger at uh, wide receiver, but but this is why zero running back works, is people think that that week one volume is going to be how the season plays out, and we see over and over again that it does not work that way. One other uh, running back you mentioned, and a guy I've been drafting a lot uh, on your recommendation, is Matt Breida. And I'm just curious, are we how worried are we about the Alfred Morris signing? I'm feeling like I'm seeing a lot of chatter of, oh, you know, Shanahan's going to love him some Alfred Morris. He's going to be a factor. This is now a full-blown, you know, three-way timeshare. What are, what are your thoughts on the Alfred Morris situation? I don't think you have to worry about that unless he really is hurt, which just brings us back to the question of, you know, should you really ever be drafting people who are hurt already when the season starts? And that's something that I've tried to shy away from a little bit. But I think the other element there is that that, that's much more of a concern for me with starters. So when you start to hear this news with Alshon Jeffrey, He's someone the high stakes people were much lower on than than it seems like the experts were. And and that may not be a completely accurate statement, but just in terms of seeing different drafts, different ADPs, it seemed like the high stakes guys were saying, look, this this injury is a concern and losing games from someone you're drafting in that starting range is a big problem because you need to go out and especially like you're saying in this 11 week format, you know, you need to win from week one. Um, once you get out of the range where you're drafting starters, if you're getting a big discount because of an injury that has been portrayed or reported as not a big deal, then I think that is something to take advantage of. Now, whether or not you're actually getting a discount depends a lot on how you see him. Uh, a couple weeks ago or right before both players got injured, the players or the, the reporters covering the 49ers were adamant that this could be even a 50-50 timeshare, in which case McKinnon is pretty overvalued and, and Brito would be undervalued. I tend to think that still it's probably going to be McKinnon getting the bulk of the work. But the point there is that Brito is going to have a lot of high value touches. 
if that's the case, then I think what the Morris signing does, which again, the reporters are all saying it doesn't factor in at all. I'm not sure that I believe them because Alfred Morris can play and, and is familiar with that format. But if it is a McKinnon free to timeshare, then that injury to him may have kept him from moving up into that Chris Carson range, into that Peyton Barber range, uh, into that Carlos Hyde range, where you're talking about committee backs that look fairly overvalued because you're talking about guys who are not that established, hide a little bit more so, but people who are potentially not established and yet are being drafted as though they're clear starters when they're not really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's uh, it's crazy how much just that perception, like you mentioned with the Carson and Barber and how those look like guaranteed touches and how, how you want those. And then thinking on the flip side, the, you know, the, the drum was starting to beat for Brita there for how much of a factor. And then this has really made things quiet. So uh, I mean, it's just continuing to contra-trade your uh, own emotions with that uh, and trusting uh, the initial analysis on the uh, on the situation. Sean, I just had a couple more uh, questions I, w- I wanted to throw at you before we wrap up here. Um, one is I just wanted to circle back to uh, Alan Robinson. Does he fall for you into that category of, of avoiding kind of the, the uh, guys who are going to head into the season with lingering injuries um, because I, I do think, you know, when we talked about that range earlier and you mentioned some target concerns for guys who are likely to be there at the four or five turn for us. Um, he's one I do feel like should have quite a few targets coming his way as long as he's healthy. And it does look like he should be able to start the season, but obviously question marks coming off uh torn ACL. So is that, is the torn ACL kind of why you are worried about him or do you have concerns about uh, his potential target volume as well? That's really a tricky one, I think, um, because like you mentioned, we don't really know. So are they holding him out and he's going to be pretty close to 100% or really is 100%, but just, you know, a little bit like a few of the other teams are doing, just, you know, don't put your guys out there, uh, you know, like the Rams avoiding really all the potential injuries, or is he more an 85% or 80% kind of situation like with Doug Baldwin? When Doug Baldwin says he's 85%, I, I have no interest in that whatsoever. Um, but But Robinson is falling into that range where – you know, you have a little bit of that potential for DeAndre Hopkins bounce back to the borderline first round range. And so I think that being included in the price balances some of that out. And then just being in that range where you don't really like the other players makes him more intriguing. So in my first main event, uh, it came, uh, you know, I had the, the 410 and I was looking at Robinson, looking at Cook's. And then the next four guys after that were Josh Gordon, Emmanuel Sanders, Michael Crabtree, Marvin Jones, and then, I mean, Jamison Crowder. That's the next group. Allen Robinson is easily ahead of those guys for me. And so I did pull the trigger at the 410. And why we're talking in that range, just because this is the other player we've been mentioning there, how do you include uh, Chris Hogan in that group? Yeah, so he he's actually been gone super early in in some of these drafts that I've looked at. I like Hogan. I do think that just like you don't necessarily want to take on people who are injured to start, for example, and, and or suspended. So I, I don't think that the discounts people are getting on Mark Ingram are enough to select him or, or really anywhere close. Maybe Julian Edelman is a little bit closer since uh, most of the things I'm seeing he's 
a, a little bit cheaper or not necessarily cheaper, but cheaper relative to what he'll bring eventually. I'm also concerned about picking people who really only have that beginning time period with the elite upside, which isn't to say that Chris Hogan doesn't have upside otherwise. I mean, he, he had some good games last year, again, with Edelman out. But when you're looking at him really having that value during the Edelman suspension and then potentially it getting quite a bit more crowded with Edelman and Gronkowski, some of the peripheral receivers look a little bit better. Obviously, their running backs are fantastic from a pass catching perspective. So I like Hogan. I still have him on a lot of the dynasty teams, but his price, again, is just very expensive for sort of his full season value and, and what it looks like once Edelman comes back. That's interesting. One of the guys uh, we talked about, probably the only guy we actually talked about late in the draft uh, before uh, this call is uh, is Philip Dorsett. Um, just, you know, you mentioned some of the peripheral guys looking interesting. He's going super late. Is he anyone? Is he someone that you've snapped up at all uh, very late in drafts? He's not, but I think he's a good pick there. And that's more the way I would play the Patriots. So you're probably, in, in this particular format, especially not at all in position to, to get Gronkowski, but Gronkowski, uh, perhaps Burkhead, and then someone like Dorsett, I think those guys are more the way to play uh, the potential targets who are available early on. And Gronkowski now, you know, really is back to where, I mean, I don't see him ever going in this range, maybe in the, in the FFPC, but, you know, it's back to really having like 105, 106 type of, type of upside. Um, but outside of him, then, yeah, play play the cheaper targets and see if you can get uh, this explosion early on from Dorsett that might actually keep him more involved as the season goes along. Yeah, that makes it. And why we're uh, talking about tight ends, we haven't talked about them much uh, in the mid to late. Do you have a favorite late round target, say, if we're grabbing our tight end two or maybe even tight end three? Yeah, so I mentioned Cook a little bit. I think that O.J. Howard... Is, is someone, all of the breakout players with the Buccaneers, and this goes kind of back to my, my question about Evans, when when you have Evans and Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin and Cameron Brait and then O.J. Howard and probably dysfunctional quarterbacks, you're talking about this, this weird balance between very exciting weapons and then questions about how they're going to get the ball to them and how that target split works out. But even with that being the case, I do like to bet on the breakout players because I I do think that talent tends to overwhelm these questions about volume and tends to change that volume situation. So where does Howard sit in terms of the FFPC ADP there? He's going in the mid 10th on average. Yep. Mid to late. Yeah. So I think a little bit too, for me, in terms of looking at those tight ends, a position that we basically don't talk about at all because there are so many of them and it's almost impossible to screw it up is quarterback. Uh, but when you're on the turn and you could potentially wait and wait and wait and then have a run go, you know, I, I was kind of joking uh, with, with Larry Andrews the other day about a team that had managed to set itself up with a Dalton Carr um, combo when it was so easy to get quarterbacks it was almost impossible to to put yourself in that position and then the very next draft i ended up with uh goff and alex smith as my quarterbacks <laughs> because i made the decision to uh draft a couple more guys late and then there was this that sounds run. fine to me i i have no problem with that though i i mean i don't know you can get mariota right now in 14 11 like uh really before you know, Winston's going in the 15th. That's where it starts to 
feel dicey, but I don't. I would be fine with Alex Smith. I'd be fine with Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Rivers. I don't. I mean, I like Ryan and Rivers a lot. I have them sort of as a tier above the guys I ended up with. Is that not the case on your board? No, I I agree. I just don't. It's like it doesn't matter that much to me. Like I, I, I would agree that Rivers and Ryan are a tier above, but I'm fine slipping down to the next tier if it means that we can get. Like Nick Chubb is going one pick ahead of Matt Ryan. Um, DJ Moore is going one pick ahead of of uh, Jared Goff. So I feel like, and Matt Breed is going just a few picks after Jared Goff. So I feel like there's some really prime uh, running backs, wide receivers that I like in the range of those uh, quarterbacks, Rivers and and Ryan, and then and Goff's actually going right right next to Ryan here in the FFPC ADP, but. If you go down to Alex Smith, who's right now going um, like two rounds later than Rivers, Ryan, Goff, there's not so much around him. There's like, you know, defenses are going off the board. The Garrett Blunt, Chris Ivory, Doug Martin, those types of running backs. So kickers are going off the board at that at that point. So I, while I agree that there's, I think, a tear break after Rivers and Ryan, there's also, I think, a bigger tier break in the other positions just based on the way the ADP is falling right now. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the case where I would be picking uh, Chubb and, and more well ahead of those quarterbacks. Pete, do you have any quarterbacks who are, are particular favorites? Do you have a combination that you think the schedules match up well? Uh, one of the things about having the late quarterbacks is that even though the quarterbacks are so inexpensive, they still score a lot of points. And certainly in this format, if you have a, a good running quarterback that can help, I'm hoping that Alex Smith, you know, does uh, some of the scrambling can do that without suffering concussions. Are, are there people that you're looking at that are targets at quarterback? Well, it, it's flattering for you to think that I have looked at the schedules and uh, matched up two ideal quarterbacks. <laughs> but no, it is funny, though, you say that because I did. I was talking to Pat yesterday about one late quarterback that I do like, and that is Jared Goff. And I actually kind of think it's funny, or not funny, but weird that more people aren't talking about him. I just feel like he, he broke out last year. Uh, we Everyone sold on the, on the offensive uh, direction with McVeigh. Uh, obviously have Gurley, and then they bring over Cooks. Um, and It just seems like everything's trending. I don't know why he couldn't take even another leap. I know they still want to run the ball, but you see what Todd Gurley does with those screen passes. Um, I just feel like I like him more than those quarterbacks that he's going around. Uh, I just feel there's a lot of safety there with still upside, and he's kind of one of my favorite late-round uh, quarterbacks right now. One of the concerns I had is that uh, for how explosive their offense was last year, his fantasy scoring was not in the range that you would expect. So you have two possibilities. One is that it just bounces back and is a little bit better. The other would be that they're somehow funneling the points in a way that does not result in good fantasy scoring for him. I think what you what you mentioned there that we could see a secondary breakout. That's that's very true. You know, if if you told people, you know, four or six months from now that he had a Carson Wentz type of year. I don't think that would be a huge surprise to people because they, if anything, they have more weapons and they have the potential for a more explosive offense. And so, you know, certainly if you think about him being in the Wentz range, especially with the injuries that, that you have with, with Philadelphia there, that underlines even more just how 
inexpensive the quarterbacks are. The other thing that's kind of interesting there, and I think is also the case with with Mahomes, although Mahomes, uh, I think, is such an exciting player that he tends to get drafted a little bit on the uh, just the, the dream, which I'm certainly guilty of. I, I pick him a lot. Uh, but when you have players like Hill, Kelsey, Watkins all going early, it's going to be difficult for them to live up to ADP. And they won't necessarily, but it's going to be difficult from without Mahomes also having a good season. Well, you know, when you look at Goff's guys, you you have Cup, Cooks, and Woods all going very early. You know, maybe there's a situation where their lack of a tight end balances that to an extent. But if his receivers pay off, then he probably will have to pay off as well. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a, at least my uh, my train of thought with it there. But I think in general, I do kind of lean with Pat where I'd rather wait. But I, I have seen you um, target those kind of elite QBs, especially it looks like in expert and industry drafts where um, quarterbacks are going so late. And, and I, I think how you've described it makes perfect sense where it's just like you're going to have to take one of those guys at some point. And there, and there's a lot of mid to late targets you like anyway, so might as well uh, use one up. And I, I think that can be a feel thing too. I think I would rather though do what what you do. Like if I were to do one, I'd want it to be like a falling, you know, Deshaun Watson or Brady or something, as opposed to maybe taking Matt Ryan or Rivers over a really good target. Um, I guess it's just like if you think you could really get that elite QB hammer versus just moving up a tier um, from the golf, you know, Mariota, when I don't know if it is a huge tier jump. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing, have, you know, having done this two years before now, I, like we do, we have had pretty decent success streaming as needed. And so I just feel like the backstop for us is, is there. Like if we pick a quarterback in the 15th round and, and, and he's unstartable, we we can find someone else. Uh, it might take us, you know, a few weeks looking ahead at the schedule at that point, and uh, you know, selecting someone with a good matchup coming up in like two or three weeks, and get them on a roster, real cheap. I mean, this is a strategy that we've used successfully the last couple of years. <laughs> Probably one of the few things that we've really nailed. I think so. I would be really comfortable waiting till like the 14th or 15th round, um, and locking up more running back targets in that 10 to 14 range that we uh it looks like we might be able to to get there and then maybe if that dries up in the 14th we move the quarterback but if not we could even wait to the 15th uh i feel i feel really comfortable doing it even if it means that we miss out on golf and rivers and ryan which we probably would um sean last question before we wrap up here we kind we went to the end of the draft uh i just want to circle back and talk about uh, the eight nine turn because you know just to just to recap what we, what we talked about with the sixth seventh that's where I was saying maybe we could go running back running it back again so we would have gone running back 101 wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver potentially maybe we throw an Ingram there Pete we could like kind of do a split the baby thing with a Jarvis Landry Evan Ingram pick at uh, four or five potentially but <laughs> Then we go maybe two running backs at six seven, like with a, a Tevin Coleman, uh, on Johnson, potentially, and then we go uh, back to the the eight nine, and I think we're looking at wide receivers there. And Sean, I just wanted to get your thoughts 
a little bit more on depth on some of the wide receivers who could potentially be there. There's like a group that would have to fall to us. Um, that group is like Cup, Watkins, Robbie Anderson, Funches, and then there's a group that's more likely to be there for us, which includes like guys like Will Fuller, Pierre Garcon, Robert Woods, um, and then a little bit later, Aguilar, Sterling Shepard. Uh, how do you feel about those guys in, in that range? Well, I think if you're in the 8-9 and you're looking at people like Robbie Anderson, Robert Woods, uh, Will Fuller, those are no-brainer picks. And I, and I do think that's the way to do it because uh, kind of like you mentioned, there should be good targets in the 6-7, uh, but then running back maybe thins out again, 8-9, and then you know 10 through 13 probably can take four guys who are pretty exciting. So yeah, taking wide receivers in that range makes a lot of sense. Anderson Woods... I haven't been drafting Funches for the reason that you sort of mentioned earlier in the show, which is that DJ Moore has a fantastic projection and is a lot less expensive. On the other hand, the signals out of the preseason, and I think the preseason maybe is interesting in terms of, you know, just how far back or how much uh, time it's going to take for someone at a position like wide receiver to work themselves into a heavy target share. You know, that hasn't been encouraging for Moore. And so I think Funches becomes more appealing. People like Funches and Aguilar look just wildly undervalued compared to what their role is and sort of what their progression is. And it'll be interesting to see if Aguilar really makes a jump now with the Jeffrey news. But I think they're being overly penalized for having some unsustainable elements in their profile as opposed to people realizing, okay, these guys are going to see their volume increase and their role increase, and that's going to more than balance out uh, maybe an unsustainable touchdown rate, for example. So when you're looking at the roles that these guys are going to have, when you look at the potential for them to take a further step, I mean, those are fantastic values in this range. Awesome. Well, uh, we don't want to keep you uh, too much longer. I think we could, uh, if you didn't ever cut us off, we would just go on and on uh, picking your brain. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you have any final words. Maybe there's like a prayer or like a blessing you could give us. <laughs> um, I don't know. What what can you do to really make this the year? No, I, I, I don't have that. I was thinking that what would be perfect was for you to do a little bit more hard knocks for us to, to take us out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, go. I don't know, Sean. Once we have you on the program, that's just contagious. We're going to keep asking you back, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to this, guys. I, I think, you know, this this is the year. You and Monty are going to be fighting out for one and two all the way down the stretch. <laughs> Excellent, dude. I just want to make the playoffs, Sean. We just want to make the playoffs. That's right. That's that's our that's our motto. Uh, we just don't want to be the laughing laughing stock yeah. of the dynasty Come on. community. You can't go over three here. Yeah. Uh, well, no. Thank you again, Sean. I know you're a busy man. Even though it seems like you got your leagues down to a reasonable thirty to forty. Uh, under a hundred. Under a hundred. Uh, so yeah, and uh, it, as if you guys aren't already checking out Sean's work over at Rotoviz. Uh, he was laying a little low, I assume, doing a lot of editing uh, earlier in the offseason, and then he just turned into a beast overnight. He's cranking out articles every day. So I can't really imagine better draft prep than going to read Sean and everyone else's work over at Rotoviz. Everybody's firing on all cylinders right now. Somehow still feels like the best-kept secret in fantasy football. So definitely check that out. Uh, and we will check back in. I actually... I just realized we're really bad at this hosting thing. We need to do a few ad reads type stuff. But uh, if you guys are at the main event, 
Uh, Pat and I are going to be doing some live broadcasting uh, from the ballroom draft draft ballroom. We don't know those exact times yet. We'll be sure to post those on Twitter and on the Fantasyland Twitter. But uh, if you can't make it to the main event draft, you can you can tune in and get a flavor for the drafts. And we'll also be kind of breaking down our more updated draft strategy. And of course, after our draft on Saturday as well, we'll let you guys know how that all went. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Sean, for uh, for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. It, it's always a blast talking with you. Well, thanks again to Sean for coming on. Always great to pick one of the brightest guys out there about what we should do in our drafts. And I do believe there are still some spots available in the main event. If you guys haven't signed up yet, you can do that at myffpc.com. And there's lots of other options. Maybe you can't come to Vegas. Then you do an online main event draft from home. They also still got the $35 best ball leagues. Lots of ways to get involved. We can obviously vouch for the FFPC. We have an incredible time uh, dealing with them. All of our experiences at the live drafts, always a home run. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a ton of fun to do it uh, live in person. It's it's really just you know you, it gets the adrenaline going. It's it's been uh, really fun, even though the teams haven't been as successful as we've wanted. But whether you're doing it in person or online, uh, can't recommend the FFPC more. And you know you should jump in one of these leagues. They still got spots left. You'll probably uh, do better than we do, and you can brag to us about it on Twitter. So uh, definitely. Get in while uh, you still can. And then if you are in Vegas for the main event, uh, you should definitely swing by uh, to the ballroom where Pete and I are going to be doing some live recording uh, during the weekend. And we'll post those times on our Twitter. I uh, promised to even log into Twitter and I'll uh, post the <laughs> post when we're recording and uh, swing by. We're going to be talking to some of the best players in the high stakes community and some of the, the best players uh, at high stakes and not necessarily the same group. There's uh, there's kind of those amazing high stakes players and then there's some of the amazing personalities as well. So, uh, you know, it's 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 quite a, a fun time. And so swing by if you are in Vegas yeah, next or, week for or, the uh, the start of the NFL season. Crazy coming up. Yeah, and even if you're at home, you'll be able to tune in and watch that on a live stream. And uh, yeah, next time you guys hear from us, we will be live from Vegas, and then we'll get rolling on our every week schedule of releasing these late Friday uh, and Saturday. So uh, wish us luck. Let us know uh, what you think of our, our strategy we've been hashing out, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys from Vegas.